Lisa. I'm Justine. And we are the Murder Sisters. Losers. Welcome back, folks. Hi. Did I already say my name? I'm Justine. Yeah. Sure. Oh. <laughs> Short term <laughs> memory. We are here with episode 53. And today's case is another old one. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting because it went unsolved for 33 years. I'm super uh not excited i hate saying excited yeah, about murder but I'm, it's an in, it's a yeah but for elisa's part where she like dives into the investigation and all that stuff so today's case is <clears throat> excuse me it's happened in martinsville indiana on september 16th 1968 the murder that we are covering is that of carol jenkins she was a 20-year-old woman who was killed on her first day, on the first day of her new job selling encyclopedias door-to-door. Carol Jenkins was born on April 21st, 1947. So if you, like, research at all on this case, you will see on Wikipedia that her birthday says October, but that is incorrect. So don't believe everything Wikipedia says. Uh, She was born in Franklin, Indiana to mother Elizabeth Jenkins. Not much is known about Carol's birth father aside from the fact that Elizabeth split from him when Carol was an infant. Elizabeth later met a man by the name of Paul Davis who lived in Rushville, Indiana. The two fell in love. They married And Paul raised Carol as his own. Carol called him dad. Like, that was her dad. Elizabeth and Paul would go on to have five more children together. It's a lot. uh Uh Uh-huh. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And all of Carol's siblings looked up to her. She was the oldest. Carol was a very sharp dresser and even had dreams of moving to Chicago and becoming a model. However, after graduating from Rushville High School... Carol changed directions and decided to stay in Rushville, where she started an assembly line job. Carol worked in that role until a union strike forced the factory to close and she was just left unemployed. After losing her job, Carol found a new job selling encyclopedias door to door. I even remember I do those too. back in the day. I remember people coming, coming to, to our the house. door. Yeah. And I think mom and dad. Like, I- Thought some. Yeah. Maybe ma. Yeah. I can't remember what what it was. Pick a letter that you want or do you. I also remember like carpet cleaning or carpet stain remover people coming. I'll have to ask mom and dad. With like a sample of carpet and they're like, yeah, they stained it and then like, I'll have to ask mom and dad about that. Yeah. But I definitely remember the encyclopedia thing. For sure. Uh, So this job compared to her assembly line job was, you know, a huge difference. It was a huge change for her. She had to learn, first of all, how to sell products and she had to speak with the customers face to face, which is totally different from working on an assembly line. Yeah. Well, essentially solo. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's other people that I'm sure she was working with, but it's just very, you know, it's a sales job. Your task. yeah, Yeah. And you're out there. And she would have to be comfortable going door to door, all of which was really scary for her because she was a black woman 
And living in Indiana at the time, I, it was awful. And I think it still is. Elisa's going to go into this a yes. little bit as far as being like a racial, racist, a town and just the history. Yeah. Of yeah. Indiana and specifically the town that she was murdered in. Yeah. So this was, well, Rushville. So Rushville was where Carol lived. And mm-hmm. while this town was accepting of Carol and her family, There were many towns in Indiana that were not accepting. And Elisa, like I said, will go into this and the history of the Ku Klux Klan and the state of Indiana um, for her part. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's kind of pretty heavy. Yeah. um, But just it's part of this case. It really is a huge part part of this case. On the afternoon of September 16th, 1968, Carol and her co-workers set out to sell encyclopedias in a town called Martinsville, Indiana. But hours later, Carol Jenkins would be stabbed and later die from her injuries. I think this is, you know, it's like, there that's what happened. But what is the background? There's a lot to this case mm-hmm. that Elise is going to cover. So I think this is a good place to pass it on. Okay. Okay. So on the afternoon of September 16th, 1968, Carol, along with three co-workers... We're set to go out selling encyclopedias door to door, like Justine said. Um, and as Justine also said, this was her Carol's first day of work. The group had gone to a, count, a town called Martinsville, Indiana, also like Justine mentioned. And something to note about Martinsville in 1968 is that it was considered to be a sundown town, which was also referred to as like a sunset town. And basically what that is, according to Britannica.com, it says in U.S. history, it is a town that excluded non-white people, most frequently African-Americans, from remaining in town after sunset. More generally, sundown towns were used to describe a place where the resident population was through deliberate action made to be overwhelmingly composed of white people. The methods for enforcing such racial segregation ranged from episodes of collective collective violence, such as public lynchings, to ongoing housing discrimination enacted via exclusionary covenants that prevented black people from owning property. Most sundown towns arose between about 1890 after the Reconstruction era ended and 1968, which is when Carol was killed. When the Fair Housing Act prohibited racial discrimination in the sale, rental, financing, or advertising of housing. So. It kind of heightened mm-hmm. things for people who were like racist and. It, yeah. It was just, just yeah. like. Ugh. <laughs> and the, the whole sundown town, ta- like sundown part of it. Yeah. Came because I guess like on. In back roads in these sundown towns, there would actually be signs that said, like, don't let the sun go down on you. Like to black people? Yeah. And I'm not going to, I'm, I don't even, you know the word. Oh, oh my um, gosh. They had those signs out? Yes. <gasps> so it was like they were letting people know, like, if you're not white, don't come here. 
don't be caught here when the sun is down. Like at night especially. Yeah, but you know what? Like it if was... you have signs up like that, you probably aren't safe there during the day yeah. either. Wow. Um, I can't believe that would be allowed, but I guess well, it, you was, know, it was a different time. But like but... not too different because <laughs> okay, sorry, the state of Indiana, I mean, it, I will get into like current census data for specifically Martinsville. Mm-hmm. But, like, going even deeper into, like, the state of Indiana in particular, it was a hotbed for racism. And according to an article on WWRTV.com titled The History of Hate in Indiana, How the Ku Klux Klan Took Over Indiana's Halls of Power, it says, quote, At its peak, the Klan counted among its members the governor of Indiana, more than half of the state legislature, and an estimated 30% of all native-born white men in the state. More than 250,000 Hoosiers, and that was, I looked that up because I wasn't familiar with that word, and it's basically a, a term used to describe people from Indiana. A Hoosier? Mm-hmm. I've heard that term before, but... Yeah, so that's what I found, at least. If there's something else more to that and you know, let us know. Um, so more than 250 thousand Hoosiers swelled the Klan's ranks, some because they believed in its anti-immigrant, anti-Semitic, anti-Catholic message, others because being on good terms with the Klan was necessary for their business or political aspirations, making it the largest Klan organization in the country. Whoa. (laughs) So, Indiana as a whole was not, you know... The greatest place to be if yeah. you weren't white. Yeah. <laughs> but by the end of the decade, the Indiana clan was all but dismantled following the conviction of Grand Dragon, which I guess is like the head of the clan. Oh His name was D.C. Stevenson, and he actually raped and murdered a young school teacher named Madge Oberholzer. And uh, that would be a whole different episode Whoa, in and of itself. Elisa. I looked into that case as well. It's just as horrific. Oh, wow. Yeah. Huh. So you can imagine this was not a safe place Scary for, for Carol to be walking yeah. around at night and going door to door. Uh, so her job was at nighttime? Well, they oh, actually. Oh, because people are home from work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like. And I'll kind of get into the timeline, but they also did get a little bit of a late start this day. But some believe that Carol was too afraid to tell her new coworkers and boss that she was scared to go to Martinsville, due in large part of the fact that it was her first day of work. And she, Carol actually didn't tell Elizabeth and Paul, her mom and dad, that she was going to Martinsville. And they said if they knew she was planning on going there, they would have done everything everything they could to stop her um and do you think that she didn't tell them because she knew that they wouldn't like her going well yes part of that but also part due in part to where she was raised in Rushville she didn't experience this it just wasn't it wasn't like that it was like one of those rare places where it wasn't an issue race wasn't a problem for them so she wasn't used to that whoa oh um, and she was just young. And but hadn't... I'm sure she was terrified. I'm sure she was scared. I'm sure she knew that it wasn't necessarily the safest place to be. But, you know, she, it was her job. She needed a job. It was her first day. She didn't want to make herself look like, you know, not a team player. I don't know. But um, 
I mentioned earlier that I looked up current census data for Martinsville and it's still insane. Um, so their population at the last census they did was 11,882 people and 97.1% of that population is white and only 0.5% is black. So um, it's insane whoa. to think that like after what 55 years yeah there's been no you know it's, it's just, just that's what kind of town it is bad. and that's what kind of town it's and well it's crazy to think ugh. like you haven't con- come well anywhere like you haven't made any progress martinsville yeah you know mm-hmm. um so there have been reports that the group was supposed to go to a different town to sell encyclopedias but at the last minute they changed and kind of rerouted to Martinsville. No one is sure why, but the group that she went with included two white men and one other black woman who was close in age to her and was also from her hometown, I believe. Um, one of the white men was her supervisor also. So didn't wouldn't he have known about this not being a safe place? I, You know, I don't. Who knows? Those are answers that I don't have. Yeah. Just because it was so long ago. Yeah. I'm sure there were like some people that were just like ignorant to it because mm-hmm. they didn't experience it. Yeah, you're right, it Alisa. Themselves. It wasn't something that they were thinking and about. And it's like if they're not racist, like why? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if it's not yeah, something yeah. you're super familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um. <sighs> so at 430, Carol and her coworkers arrived in Martinsville to start their door to door sales work. After arriving, the group split up, presumably to divide and conquer. I don't know why they all split up. I would think so. I mean, that's how you make more sales is by yeah. each person does their yeah. route, I would think. Mm-hmm. Or route. What, how do you say Route. Either way. Route. Okay. Thank you, Elisa. <laughs> thank you, Elisa. You're right. <laughs> um, so sometime between when everyone was dropped off at 4.30 and before 7.30 p.m., Carol supposedly ran into her white male supervisor and he said he checked in with her to make sure that everything was going okay and he got basically the thumbs up from her. But at 7.30 p.m., Carol knocked on a couple's door. Their names were Norma and Don Neal. And Carol apologized for bothering them but told them that she was scared because three men in a dark sedan had been following her and hollering stuff at her and she said she couldn't make out what they were saying, but she was scared. Yeah. I, anyone. So, yeah. The, ugh. So Don Neal did see, he said he saw an unfamiliar but light colored sedan driving down the street. So she saw a dark color. He saw a different, hmm. strange, suspicious vehicle. So he actually went outside and tried to get the license plate number off oh. the vehicle before it sped away. Um, Neil and Norma Norma called the police mm-hmm. to report the su- suspicious vehicle and an officer did arrive to take a report and he said oh you know I'll check around but who knows yeah yep um Norma walked around the neighborhood with Carol to try and locate her coworkers along with a friend of Norma's but they couldn't find any of her coworkers and after returning mm. to the Neil home they told Carol that she should stay at their house until oh, she was really. Yeah, they so they were nice and they were very nice. They were a very young to couple. Help, um, yeah, 
and they wanted her they I think they understood the gravity of the situation yeah it sounds like it because they took like immediate mm-hmm. action walked with her yeah told her to stay at their house yeah and they were like you know you this stay here not- please but I think Carol felt like she had already inconvenienced the couple enough mm. and you know she was like oh they helped enough so I don't want to put them out any more yeah. than I already have um and something to know is that obviously the Neils were white. Yeah. Um, and they actually received a lot of harassment and blowback from the rest of the town for helping Carol. I was even thinking Carol why was would black. they live in a town like that if it seems like they were not they're into the racist thing. You know, there's you know? a lot of reasons <clears throat> potential reasons cheaper. why yes, exactly. Yeah. For a young couple, too. Yeah, that's what I was kind of figuring. Yeah, maybe it was the only thing they could afford, where they could buy a house. I mean, who knows? Um, But that is something to note. They did get a lot of, you know, not that it's anything compared to something that. Well, yeah, but also it's like the the girl was killed and then you're also going to harass someone who just tried to help her. Yeah. It's, oh, gosh. Yeah, so. Sickening. So that was at 7.30 that she went to the Neal's house for help. And at 8 p.m., Carol left the Neal's house to head towards the meetup spot where her coworkers and her had agreed to meet before, you know, heading out that night. The meetup time was supposed to be sometime around 10 p.m., which is really late. (laughs) Um, You know, it's late for any town, let alone uh, sundown town. Like, yeah, what Yikes. was the boss thinking? I Well, that's what I'm wondering. What is... And maybe they didn't know it was... Gonna, I don't know. I, I don't... I Bad plan. Um, so at 9 p.m. I don't know either. It so suspicious. Carol well. left the Neil's home at 8 p.m. And at 9 p.m., uh, Carol's mom, Elizabeth, had received a phone call asking her if she was the mother of Carol Jenkins... And after confirming with the caller that she was, in fact, Carol's mom, the caller identified themselves as being the local coroner and told Elizabeth that her daughter had been found dead on the side of the road. Elizabeth thought that it was a joke. She thought it was a prank call and she hung up. Um, Shortly after hanging up, the coroner called back and said, like, this is not a joke. Um, Oh, no. You know, this actually happened. So if we look at the timeline, sometime between 8 p.m. when she left the Neal home and 9 p.m. when her mother, Elizabeth, had received the phone call from the coroner, Carol had been murdered. Just in that short Mm -hmm. period of time. Carol was sadly only one block shy of the designated meetup spot where she was supposed to reconnect with her coworkers. What were the coworkers doing? Just hanging out? There's not a lot about that. I think they all split up in different directions and weren't near each other you know I read and I don't know if this is accurate you uh you know did a deeper dive into this this whole part than I did but I did come across information that said that the co-workers encouraged them to kind of stay and at least like do the buddy system and and they were like no it's fine and Carol said no I'll be okay something like that where I don't know. I don't know either, but. Um, <clears throat> so um, Carol, like I said, was one block shy of the designated meetup spot. 
Um, she was found by she was found lying in the street by a teenage boy who lived in the neighborhood. The teenage boy saw Carol collapsed on the street and ran to a nearby restaurant to call police and request help for her. It had been raining that day and it was dark and it wasn't immediately clear like what had happened to her. Yeah. Carol had also had a heavy wool coat on which had covered most of the top of her body and played a part in not being able to figure out what was wrong with her. Carol had been alive when help arrived, but oh. she died shortly after arriving to the Morgan County Hospital. No. Yeah. And once hospital staff removed her coat, they had noticed that Carol had a puncture wound to the left side of her chest, mm. which was essentially the cause of her death. Wow. The Morgan County coroner later determined that Carol's heart had been punctured <sighs> by a screwdriver. Oh, what? Yes. So. <sighs> Let's talk about this investigation. Okay. All <laughs> or right. lack thereof. Yeah. Um, oh. Of Martinsville, course, right? Indiana did not have a detective at the time of Carol's murder. Of surprise, course they didn't. surprise. Yeah. Oh, we just like don't have a detective. Yeah. So they had to get assistance with the murder investigation from Indiana State Police and the county sheriff. But by the time Indiana State Police and the county sheriff had been notified that there was a murder, um, crucial evidence had been lost. Yeah. Since the crime scene had not been secured. Um, when the initial call to police was made by the teenage boy, no one had known that the location where Carol was found had been a crime scene. And there was there were no visible wounds. It wasn't until after she passed, like I said, that they realized she had been murdered. Uh, but I'm not sure that even if police did know that she was murdered, if they would have securely or properly secured it. Given, you know, the type of people yeah. that live there. Yeah. Um, it is safe to say that the case already had a lot going against it. Um, you know, Carol was black. She was murdered in a town known for its racism. Mm -hmm. The investigation had started off horrible since the scene was not secured. And then on top of all of that, there were roughly 50 people surrounding the crime scene. And what? multiple people had handed Carol's belongings like her book bag to police, further contaminating yeah. the scene of the crime. Here you go. I found something. Oh, I found this. Here you go. So after authorities spoke with the Neals, they discovered that a suspicious car had been following Carol, which they had called into police to report. Uh, but keep in mind, this isn't the local police that they're talk the Neals are talking to now. It's state police and the sheriffs. So they were able to actually track down the vehicle and the occupants which turned out to be a teenage boy and some of his friends. And they admitted to following Carol. They denied yelling at her or having anything to do with the attack. And they were essentially released. Don had mentioned to police that he had seen a light-colored sedan in the neighborhood that he thought seemed suspicious, but he wasn't able to provide, you know, any other critical information about the vehicle or the people that were in it. After that, the investigation essentially went cold. Um, you know, I, I think the Neal family did their best to try to help with Carol's investigation. And they were very good people and they did the right thing and they tried to help her. Yeah. So as horrible of a town as Martinsville was, there was 
you know, there were these two good people in it. Yeah, yeah, just a young couple. Mm-hmm. So six weeks after the murder, the Indianapolis NAACP sent a letter to the Department of Justice asking them to investigate the murder. And the letter highlighted the fact that local authorities had failed to make any progress in the case and also highlighted the fact that the town was known for its racism. Mm-hmm. For, unfortunately, the DOJ never got involved. And, you know, that's like not surprising surprising yeah yeah but um what it kind of did confirm confirm for people like that were outside of the investigation in the case is that it was in fact racially motivated um so something else to know is that a reporter that had worked on the story had gone door to door to speak with people in the town about the murder and he or yeah the reporter got zero information about the case no one cooperated no one talked about it no one wanted to talk to talk about it and it's basically okay so like this murder happened at let's say 8 30 p.m sometime between 8 and 9 um people were home from work they were home you know winding down there were definitely people in the town that heard and saw stuff i mean a hundred percent but no one was talking which is like really horrible, you know? Um, yeah. So moving on to suspects, there was a very short list of suspects, obviously, because the investigation sucked. Um, there was like a construction worker that they thought could have done it. The construction worker left town and ended up not having anything to do with it. There was also an auto repair shop owner. Carol's journal had been had been found near the auto shop which i guess seems suspicious but again it was nothing yeah it's like what grasping at straws yeah like i mentioned before rumors went around that people in martinsville knew what happened and were just keeping their mouth shut which was the overall running theme of the entire and then like no detective like they are like we're a town that takes care Mm -hmm. care of ourselves yeah um so it just you know it makes you sick to think about people living with the knowledge of somebody's murder and like well, having information about it and just not saying anything just like the hate like well yeah and it's like bigoted, a, a bigoted way of thinking and like Ugh. you know i'm sure that even if there were people that weren't didn't think that way they might have been scared, scared. too because like look at what happened to the young yeah, couple exactly. that just tried to help yeah um. so um 32 years went by mm-hmm. and in June of t- 2000 Carol's mother Elizabeth received an anonymous call from someone that told her they knew the name of the person who killed Carol. Can you imagine? I would be like eh. yeah you're right. By Elisa. that time I would you be are so right. like like okay whatever and I'm sure that like they received a lot of yeah I'm sure that stuff. happened over and over where you're, and then her hopes would mm-hmm. go up and then come crashing down and but after the call Carol's dad Paul he used his savings and hired a private investigator to start mm-hmm. looking into the case and tracking down information about the phone call oh he just was like if it's there's it's something, something yeah yeah so Paul said as long as God gave me breath and a dollar in my pocket I was determined to never give up she was my oldest child Aww. I wanted her to be able to rest in peace oh so Aww. shortly after learning that Paul had hired a private investigator 
Um, the Indiana State Police decided to, what do you know, reopen the case? Oh, interesting. Oh. Wait, they, we've got it. We've got it. Oh, we've got it. Don't worry. We're, we'll we know it what we're here. doing. And they assigned Maurice Bud Alcran and Alan McElroy to the cold case. Okay. Funny how that works. Elise. Um, they're like, oh man, we were just about, about to, to do that. Yeah. So roughly one year after reopening the cold case in November 2001, the Indiana State Police received a letter urging authorities to take a look at a man named Kenneth Clay Richmond, who had known affiliations with the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, hmm. According to the letter, uh, the letter was later to, to be determined to have been written by a woman named Connie McQueen. So... According to Connie, they had been she had been told about the murder of Carol Jenkins by Kenneth Richmond's daughter, Shirley McQueen, okay. who was Connie's sister-in-law. Whoa. <laughs> okay. So, so the sister-in-law of was this... the one that made the phone call. Yeah. Yeah. And and she, she also wrote a letter. Okay. So she's like someone told this my sister-in-law told, told me, me about this and I'm going to keep trying about to... her dad killing Carol. Oh, wow. So Shirley McQueen, the daughter of Kenneth Richmond, was just seven years old at the time of the murder. Detectives ended up tracking down both Connie and Shirley. And Shirley confirmed that when she was seven years old, she was riding in the backseat of her father's car, passing through Martinsville. Oh, just passing through? Mm -hmm. At the time of Carol's death, um, Kenneth had lived on a nearby Hendricks County farm. And like I said, he was just passing through Martinsville. With his seven-year-old daughter. And they were had been daughter. drinking. Wait, the daughter? No. Oh. Him and one other guy that was oh, with okay. him. All right. The man that was with Perfect. Driving around the daughter drinking. Well, I guess you could do that back then, right? Well, yeah. Um, when her father and another man who was still un- unidentified saw Carol walking on the side of the street and began following her and yelling racial slurs, slurs at Carol. So this might have been that dark sedan. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Carol began to run from the men. But the two men got out of the car and started chasing Carol down the street. What? The unidentified man held Carol down while Kenneth stabbed her in the chest with a screwdriver. They just went like, they were Mm -hmm. like, we're just gonna kill. Like, yeah. Not even like beat her up, which not that it would be okay. But it's like, we're just like going to grab her and just kill her. Yeah. Um, wow. And Shirley said that when they got back into the car, they were laughing and joking with each <gasps> other. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. And there was one piece of information that authorities purposefully left out of reports and news coverage. And that was the fact that Carol had been wearing a scarf. Mm-hmm. But Shirley said that she remembered that, quote, the lady was carrying an item that resembled a suitcase or box. She was wearing a scarf around her neck and had framed glasses. Mm. which describes exactly what, sh- you know, Shirley yellow. was wearing and had. It was a yellow scarf, right? Um, yeah. Because I saw there was a book on <laughs> Good job, Jess. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's exactly right. So Shirley McQueen told investigators that when she and her father got home that night, he gave her $7, $1 for each year of her life. And he told her, this is our secret. Do not say anything. And... She didn't for wow. a long time. I'm sure she was scared of him too. If that well, was, jeez, yeah, yeah, 
You I see mean, the, your dad who's, like, supposed to protect you. Yeah. And, and like, be murder somebody and then laugh about it later. Like this friend. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. How traumatizing. Yeah. Um. And while I do believe that Connie McQueen did the right thing by coming forward, I do also want to mention that she waited 15 years after Shirley first yeah. told her about the murder to make an anonymous oh, call. And so write I was anonymous, like, anonymous I was letter. like, oh, this woman that came forward, she like, yeah, was told what happened and came right to. And no, she waited. <gasps> so, 15 years. How do you sit on information yeah, like, like that? For, not that's not good enough, Connie. <laughs> maybe she or Shirley. No, no, neither of them. Yeah. It's like, you know, don't you have something inside of you that's like, I need to tell someone, the police about I would this. just immediately, I'd be like, you made a big mistake telling, telling me. me. I Yeah, I don't care. I, um, am, I will rat you out right now. Right in front of you, actually. Right I'm going to make the phone call right now. Yeah, on my cellular phone back in the 70s or whatever. Um, Wait, no, it was like the 80s at that point or? I think so. I'm 90s? Math. Yeah, 90s. It was um, must have been the 90s, 30. Oh, yeah, 30 something years see. later. Sorry. Okay. My head hurt. All right, all right. All right. <laughs> my Math. Um, so according to my research, Shirley was estranged from her father, and she actually kind of cut ties with him when she turned 18. So that, uh, like, yeah. you know, why did you not why tell somebody? Why did you somebody? not? You know? It's like, maybe I don't know. I'm, I'm like, there's, trying no, to be there's the, no fear there. The at that devil's point. advocate and be there's like. There's no advocate advocating but that devil no i know there's no nothing maybe she just like convinced herself it wasn't well obviously not because she's telling people to people 15 year yeah who knows who who, how many other people she told jeez she's like oh i feel better just by like telling randos yeah and hoping they do something with it yeah Mm. so on may 8th 20 2002 2002 Oh, yeah. 70-year-old Kenneth. It just sounds weird. 70-year-old Kenneth Clay Richmond was located in a nursing home in Indiana where he was suffering from bladder cancer. Good. Mm. And he was arrested and charged for the murder of Carol Jenkins. How old was he, did you say? 70. Okay. In August 2002, Kenneth was deemed unfit to stand trial, so he was moved to a mental health facility. Because of his bladder? I it didn't say. Hmm. Uh, where he was set to be evaluated after a 90-day stay. However, four months after his arrest, Kenneth Richmond died um, of cancer and yeah. never had to stand trial, never had to go to jail. Never had to, like, face justice, face and the justice system. And he denied that he was the individual that murdered Carol Jenkins mm. until the day he died. And um, here, I have a question about the scarf. Okay. Uh, it's because I'm like, what if, you know, they were just around the circle of people if there's 50 people. But her scarf must, was her scarf hidden under her coat? Like, you couldn't. I don't I, know. Well, no, it had to be out in the open because she saw it. Like, she saw the scarf. I'm just thinking again, like, I mean, if there were all these people standing around the crime scene. I think the crime scene after. So Carol wasn't yeah. there when these 50 people were hanging around. Oh, I see. Okay. She wasn't, they weren't like around her body. Or, oh, I see. I see. Because she I wasn't see. dead. They took her to the hospital. Okay. All right. Sorry. It's okay. It's a good question. I mean, it's a fair question, you know? Yeah. Um, just, okay. So some updates throughout the years are that in 2014, the Neals, love the Neals, they proposed a monument in Martinsville and Carol's memory. 
the How young what? couple. Mm-hmm. They were not young anymore. It's well, not anymore. But I'm called. That's what I call them. Yeah. However, friends. however, surprise, surprise, the plans were scrapped after the county commissioner Norman Voiles said that he started getting flack about it. <gasps> so gross. You know what? I don't want to. How disgusting! Like, I know. Ugh. I know. Even like this Vomit. long after, it's like you gross. Think that they would like, do better. Wait, the f up. And who cares if you're getting flack about? Yeah, something. that's a that's good. That means like yeah, it's yeah. So, uh. yeah. So also a community park in Rushville, Indiana, which was where um, Carol and her family were from, mm-hmm. was rededicated in Carol's name, and it was it's now called Carol Jenkins Davis Park. And that was on November 1st, 2017. Mm-hmm. And then good old Martinsville. They're like, you know what we will do? We'll do a memory stone. And we'll what? place it in a garden in front of City Hall. And what? they did that on November 2nd, 2017. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's like, what? God. I don't know. I'm going to have to Google that. I did so much research on this. I know you did. I and I had did. intended on Googling that memory stone because I'm like, what? That sounds tiny. It's How big is a it? stone. It's not even a boulder or a rock. It's like. Or like a tree. It's I all mean, like a memory pebble. <laughs> yeah, a tree. It's just a rock. It's like not even alive. And it's placed inside of a garden in front Probably of City Probably covered Hall. with flowers. So Gross, that... Martinsville. Oh, Martinsville. Ew. As, I mean, if sorry any... if anyone's from there because and you're not I a also... mean, bad person. Yeah, because but... I also looked, you know, at forums and things and mm-hmm. and um, like watched news videos, news videos, um, news broadcasts from, you know, when the book was written, the girl in the yellow scarf i think is the title and the newscaster who actually was the author of the book and then i was reading through the comments Mm -hmm. and somebody said like i grew up here Mm -hmm. and i still live here and it is still like it's still bad there's a few good people like the neils (sighs) um the young couple but it's still they the person was like it's still like very racist here and I feel like we really try to keep our personal opinions about that kind of stuff, like kind of to I a mean, minimum. You know. I mean, not we're not ever like this, like I know, you know, gross Martinsville, like yeah, we don't we, but but this is gross, obviously, gross I mean, this is beyond and and then what did you say, like the um, census? Today? Oh my god, ninety-seven point one percent white only. <sighs> it said. Can you imagine? 0.5% black. What does that mean? Like half a person? I don't know. Oh my god. Well, it's a percentage of the 11,885 people. I know, Alisa. Wow. Yeah. Um, And then Carol's dad, Paul Davis, he's such a good guy. Um, He passed away at the age of 90. Wow. In 2018. And the good thing that came out of this is, I mean, the man who killed his daughter didn't see jail time. Mm-hmm. He did die and suffer from yeah. bladder cancer. Yeah. Which is, you know. I hope it hurt every time he peed. I'm sure it did. Good. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't I don't know. either. But. Um, but, you know. Yeah. yeah. He at least got to kind of know. He, yeah. What he, happened and his that him hiring using all of his savings to hire that private detective it paid off it like re-sparked the Mm -hmm. investigation got things going again 
Um, I couldn't find any information about Carol's mother, Elizabeth. And so I located the obituary for Paul. Mm-hmm. And it did mention Carol. Uh, mm-hmm. But had no mention of Elizabeth in it, which I thought was oh, very weird. Lisa. Unless I missed it. I read I'm it like gonna... three times. Oh. But you know me. I, I miss. Sometimes yeah. I or miss things that I'm specifically listening for. Looking you said for. Car- Elizabeth to me when you met Carol, remember? And I was like, you mean. Wait. Oh, yeah. Mom I called you went a smart to ass. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. You mean when the you mom said, went to work there yeah, too? When you said Elizabeth went to work as an encyclopedia salesperson. Did you mean Carol or did Elizabeth also sell? (laughs) I did say that. I did say that. Um, So there you go. That's the horrible, horrible, horrific case. And it's not like, oh, but now they've really turned around and blah. Yeah. It's it's like, like, nope, same stuck in the 60s or Martinsville. Boo. Except for if you're nice. But like, why would you want to even live there? Well, like the you said, cheapness. maybe it's affordable. Maybe it's just like work or cheap or yeah. you're. Uh, There's some knows? people who that knows? live places and that's what they can afford. And that's, you know, yeah. where they have employment or. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Maybe if you're a good person from there, then we're not talking. <sighs> you're, about you. Yeah. Disregard this message that you suck. So. <laughs> um, so that's, that's uh, that. Thanks Alisa, and, for your research yeah. into this. I was like really into I know this. you were I know um yeah for a lot of like I think because it has all this dark horrible history to it and it was yeah. interesting to learn about and then also crazy that it's like still still hasn't progressed yeah like it's that's really crazy to think <sighs> about but like I, I, yeah I don't know huh. um so as always, we will include all of our sources, mm-hmm. which does not include Wikipedia. Oh, yeah. Wikipedia. Don't. Yeah. Like, don't. If you want to learn more about this case, do not look at Wikipedia. And don't use chat GPT because it won't tell you anything. <laughs> Justine. <laughs> I know. That was Justine. Um, <sighs> and if you guys have any case suggestions, email them to us at murdersisterspod at gmail.com. That's murder sisters pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at murder sisters pod. We're going to be posting pictures of Carol. She was really styling, beautiful pretty. girl. Yeah. And we try again not to comment on people's looks yeah, or we anything. We never do that. We make a point. I don't not make to. a point. I, yeah, we don't do that. But she had this glow about her. She's gorgeous. And it's just um, like she was just innocent and just trying to work. It's Ugh. just sad as Sickening, hell. Sickening and it makes me sick. Um, all right. Well. But I'm glad we covered this case. I'm glad we found the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so the end. The end. Bye. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.